Hey, welcome back to our pastor's Bible study. We are getting near the end of the book of Acts, this great historical account that Luke has written for, for us, uh, the many generations to follow him. So uh, it's a very historical account. Um, oh, hi, Pastor Jeremy. Hello. Nice to have you joining us uh, digitally. Nice to be here. Yeah. So he's still quarantining at this time of uh, this time of the uh, whatever period. <laughs> and um, we're kind of testing out the Zoom, and we're just going to do a quick uh, Bible study here on Acts chapter 25. Um, if you remember back to last time we, we met, uh, chapter 24, Felix was the Roman... I don't know, prefect, governor of the area. And Felix said, uh, uh, let Paul sit in prison for two years. Uh, and then kind of when his term was up, his rotation was up, uh, he had the opportunity to pardon Paul, to let him let him go. He did not. And so now Felix, uh, another F name, a different guy, uh, Felix is the new head honcho up in Caesarea for the whole kind of the province there covering uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and all of that. Um, so Festus is now uh, in charge, and we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 25. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them, to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. They try to ambush him on the way up to Caesarea. Uh, Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there, if he has done anything wrong. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews, or against the temple, or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Uh, and Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had uh, conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. So, uh, so a couple of things, just uh, kind of historical or you know Jewish context. I guess um, Caesarea is north of Jerusalem, uh, but they always go up to Jerusalem and down to Caesarea. And it has more to do with elevation 
Jerusalem being on the kind of the hill, Mount Zion kind of idea, but also uh, just the way they always talked about Jerusalem. It's always the, you know, the city of God, the city of Zion. We always go up to Jerusalem and down to wherever uh, we're going to. So uh, anyway, that's just a little note. Sometimes I, I say those words backwards. You go down or up to Jerusalem anyway. Well, the three days, so Festus is there three days uh, on the job. He goes straight to Jerusalem. I think that's pretty good diplomacy uh, to talk to the Jewish leaders there and establish some kind of diplomatic relationship with them. Um, and think about it. So Paul's been sitting there for two years. And what's the first request they make of the new governor? Hey, you still got that Paul in chains? Yeah. Get down here. We want to condemn him. I mean, he got memory like elephants. They're not. <laughs> they forgot about Paul. And Festus uh, is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys can come up here. Uh, we'll have the trial up here. And so, you know, it says he stayed in Jerusalem eight or ten days. And he kind of made his way back to his, uh, you know, we'll call it a castle, you know, in Caesarea. And then the next day, the Jews are there ready for court. Yep. Again, like just like two years ago, man, they were on it, like as quick as they could get there uh, to press their charges. Well, I, I appreciate Paul's response to the whole thing, too. You know, it runs through all of those. Uh, but then he says, you know, if I deserve to die for any of these things, and it talks about these charges being really serious charges, he says, so be it, you know, like that's, that's the lie. So I don't even disagree with you guys. If I've done any of these things to be this blasphemer or to come down upon these Jews or whatever you want to condemn me for, if it is a charge condemnable by death, so be it. I mean, he doesn't argue that yeah. at all. He just says, you know, right. you got you got to prove this and you got to actually share that it's true. Yeah, exactly. His attitude is that, Hey, if, uh, if I'm going to die for this, I'm willing to die for this. But at the same time, I'm not going to uh, I'm going to willingly assist the Jews in their evil plot. Yeah. Um, it just so. shows his character, I think, for a big piece of that, right? Saying, you know, if this is something that really is condemnable, then so be it. But if not, let's make sure that we're always sharing the truth here and being open with one another. Right. And I think, you know, uh, we don't know a lot about Festus, but I... It seems like he showed pretty good leadership. I mean, he walked into this situation without any, you know, background, and um, he probably senses something is up. Well, yeah. that's like the very first thing. He's like, "No, no, I'm not gonna, not gonna hand him over to you. Uh, you know, you can come up to Caesarea and press your charge. Whatever. I mean, he seems kind of fair. Yep. And then uh, uh, one, another little historical note that we need to know is that. Uh, so any Roman citizen had the right to appeal, uh, whatever, the trial or the judgment. They could appeal all the way to Caesar. Uh, but it was non-revocable. So once Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, then That's it. it's, it's immediately out of uh, Festus's hands. He literally doesn't have any authority anymore on you the case. He his words, right? He said, well, to Caesar, you shall go. Here you go. All right. Right. It, uh, right, you're, yeah, it's now in the in the higher court, if you will, the Supreme Court. Kind of think about why did Paul uh, appeal to Caesar? Um, I think I think he got the two for one deal there. I mean, he he protected himself from the Jews 
lies and uh, you know their evil plot, uh, and and uh, he got to go to Rome, which yep. was his ultimate goal, and he felt God had promised him that he would get to share the gospel in Rome, and I guess standing on trial and shackled and you know in front of the uh, the governor, the, your accusers, and uh, probably the Holy Spirit, you know, moved him to say, "This is that. This is the uh, the way forward from from this kind of miserable position to be in." Uh, but this is this is the way forward. So you got right, uh, protect. The next step then here. Uh, yeah. Thirteen. Uh, sorry, I got my ESV, so it'll be a little bit different if you were with us in the NIV here. Uh, it says, now when uh, some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus, and they stayed there many days. Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priest and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go on to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. So the king, Agrippa, this is uh, like a grandson of Herod the Great. So mm -hmm. this is a Roman-appointed ruler over Israel, uh, basically. And uh, so familiar with uh, the Jewish customs, laws, religion, um, and also seemed kind of a, a level-headed and, you know, uh, kind of takes this as we go forward in the trial, right, takes, takes it pretty seriously. So what's interesting is um, we get a little more information really about what was happening at the trial a few days earlier, and uh, Festus, the, the Roman governor, he seems to have been able, in the accusations and lies and everything, he seemed to have been able to get to the very heart yeah. of what the dispute was going on here. between the Jews and, and, and Paul. Yep. And, and it's, I mean, it's at the very, and, and it's exactly what is at the heart of Christianity, right? It's, uh, Fest is like, yeah, yeah, it's about this man who's named Jesus who died, uh, and that's kind of like common knowledge, the way he said it. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus, you know, he's Nazareth, he had some disciples, they say he did some miracles, but, you know, we executed him. Uh, he's dead. Uh, but Paul asserts 
<laughs> Paul claims that he's still alive. And that's super key. I think you're right, Pastor Mark, because you talk about like there is no, uh, like they're not arguing whatsoever that Christ is a real person. Uh, they're not arguing whatsoever that he was around this vicinity and did all these different things or that he gained popularity. They're not arguing that he was put to death anyway. And it finally comes down to this one element in which Paul is disagreeing with them as he always has because he is stuck to his guns on the fact that Christ is alive. And that's what's hurting, if you will, the case of these Jews that have come against him so hard. They just don't want to be able to believe that. And they don't want that to be something that's true. And that's, that's always been the case when we look in scripture during this context. I mean, immediately after the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, look at the steps that we see people starting to take, whether it's if it's to, to pay off soldiers or if it's to try to lie and create stories about the disciples stealing a body. They don't want this to be true because, again, if this one element is true, it ruins so much for them and their lives. Uh, it, it just just destroys exactly what their case may be. And so it's interesting to see all those different things, uh, even in this context, for us today to know that even people who did not like who Christ was or who were around him still say, you know, yes, he is a real person. Yes, he died upon a cross. Those items are not disputed. It's not like Jesus did not live at all. Yeah. 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 And, and, and again, to me, I'm really amazed just that, that Festus, I mean, whatever, you know, however long the trial, maybe it went on for hours. I don't know. But that uh, with all the false, you know, things being flung, if I like, he was able to drill down and see like, okay, this is, this is what's at the heart of this dispute. And so he takes it to Agrippa, who's got the a little more Jewish knowledge and, and context uh, to find out what he has to say. Um, before we move on, I just wanted to share uh, what Paul later, or yeah, would later write to the to the Christians in Rome, uh, and and just kind of uh, how do how do Christians respond when we're treated unjustly? Hmm. And so in Romans twelve. Uh, just nine, verse 19, 20, and 21, uh, Paul writes, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, on the contrary, here he quotes a, a proverb, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, end quote. And then Paul concludes, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hmm. And that's a, that's a real challenge, but I, I do like the way the proverb uh, kind of entices me to say, okay, you really want to get revenge? Well, if you do something good for him, it'll be like heaping burning coals on him. Then. So it's kind of like the twofer, like, okay, I still get a little, because he's going to feel guilty that I'm being nice to him. Yeah. I know what you're <laughs> saying. Obviously, obviously, like, that's not our, our mode right. or our, uh, you know, what we're, what's behind us wanting to do that. But think about that, right? When the Lord himself tells us that he will seek revenge, I think about it and I think, Gee, that's that's much more than I could ever do, and that's much more than the world 
could ever do upon somebody else. And, you know, think about the, the Lord's ultimate revenge upon sin and what that, what that looks like. And this is why, you know, on the other side of that, for us, we seek to be able to share the good news with everybody we come in contact with, because it's so important that people know of who the Lord is and know that, you know, we, we do talk about the gospel message and talk about all these good things that the Lord does for us. But we need to know that, you know, hell is a real place, that condemnation is a real thing, that judgment will take place one day, and that we do receive freedom from all of those things, but only if we believe in Christ as our Savior, not just believe that he's a person, not just believe yeah. that he died, but believe in the entire true story. And that's what Paul is trying to impress upon these people in this moment. Oh, yeah. Every chance Paul got, that's what he tried to... Doesn't Christ do that, too, right? You talk about, you know, being able to, to share good. Gee, when our Savior is, you know, upon the cross in those final moments, he asked for forgiveness upon these people who are putting him to death. You know, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He could have done anything uh, in that in that moment. And, you mm -hmm. know, Pastor Mark, you and I have talked about this before. You know, what would we have done? You know, you have all this power, you know, you can do anything you want to at this time, but Jesus holds back and the burning coals that he heaps upon their heads is by continuing to share love and forgiveness with them, even in these moments of his death. Yeah. That's Obviously good. a big testament for us as individuals. Hard for us to <laughs> hard for us to follow through on a lot of times in life. Right. But it's uh inspiring to see uh, Christians like Paul to live through those yeah, really yeah. much harder trials than I faced and uh, do it in a Christ-like way, respond in uh, the way he responded. All right, well, let me read the, uh, start with 23 and, and finish the chapter here. So this is Paul before Agrippa. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice, oh, by the way, we should, maybe we should fill in, uh, Bernice is his sister, just in case anybody's wondering. All right, so the very next day, Agrippa's anxious to hear him. The very next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man? The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death. Now, this sounds a little bit like Pilate talking about Jesus, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> I find nothing deserving of death. But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Uh, it's, it's kind of comical. I mean, uh, Festus is, I think, embarrassingly admitting that he doesn't even know what I, he's like, hey, I got this prisoner. I don't know what his charges are, and yeah. appealed to to Caesar. I have to send him to Rome, but I don't. I have anything to write down to to charge him with. What am I gonna? Yeah. How what do we do to send him to Rome? 
you know, can you, you people, you know, King Agrippa, especially again with the Jewish context, you know, can you, can you give me something? Maybe it's the dark humor. And it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad that Paul's being held on nothing. But, I mean, you're, you're so right, Pastor Mark, and the parallel that you just drew with, you know, Jesus in the last moments of his life being tried and being before Pilate and Pilate trying to get out of it and him being held unjustly. I mean, it's the exact same scenario that we have here. Uh, and both of these men, you know, come up against it. Uh, and you know what, that might be the case for us sometimes in life too. When we look for application in this story, especially in the book of Acts, just knowing that as Christians, often, you know, there are going to be times when we probably come up against things that we're unjustly held accountable for that may not be the truth. And those moments are, are so tough. It's not, not that we don't want to fight against it. It's not that we just want to lay down or roll over. But at the same time, we need to know that sometimes in life, uh, it just it just isn't fair. And we do come up against those things. Uh, and of course, the biggest case of all, I mean, look at the Son of God. When Jesus himself has to face this against these charges that are completely false and mean nothing whatsoever, you know, the, the God of the universe has to take this punishment uh, and ultimately a complete unjust punishment. It's not just from... Uh, Pilate, it's not just from the Jews, but technically it's from all people and from all sin. Because when we confess that, you know, Jesus takes all of our sin upon the cross, you know, he really unjustly takes the punishment of everybody all the way to his death. And all of us have a responsibility in that moment. And so that's something for us to be able to recall again in our life when we think that we're going up against something that's unjust or unfair. I mean, look at what the punishment is that Jesus ultimately pays, you know, for our sin. I, I think about being unfair. The only individual yeah. who's ever lived on this earth completely sinless and perfect who deserves heaven, but at the same time receives all of our sin. Right. And, and uh, that's awesome. And to, to, to gaze upon, to think about uh, how much he loves us, to be able to, to do that for us. And then he instructed us. He goes, you know, you're, if you're going to follow me, look how they treated me. You know, don't expect to be treated justly yeah. uh, for, for following me and for proclaiming the gospel. Yep. It's just not going to happen in this sinful world. Well, do you want to uh, wrap it up? Verses here? Are we going to wrap it up here today? What do you think? Well, that's a, that's a, we're testing out Zoom. I think we could probably wrap it up. That's chapter 25. So That's good I'm this good. here at 25, and I think it leaves us on a, a, a good note there. Uh, again, yeah. that final verse, for it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges that are against him. And isn't that the right. truth, I think, for all of us, right? Not just for, for Paul, but back to Christ again. You know, doesn't it seem completely unreasonable? that the God that created all things would come down to this earth and take the sin of Pastor Mark, of myself, and each one of you upon his back. It doesn't only seem unreasonable, but it, it's completely unreasonable. Correct, Pastor Mark? Oh, it's, it's uh, yeah, illogical, irrational, unreasonable. I knew you could give me a couple other descriptors that would fit perfectly. <laughs> and it is all of those things that you can mention. And so for us, again, during this time of Advent, 
to remember the, the coming and the arrival of the Savior that all of us do have in Christ, that he takes all of this sin upon his back so that we can be able to celebrate the life and the forgiveness and the love that he has given to us. Uh, so we champion that message today as we uh, wrap up this chapter. Uh, let's go ahead. That is, go ahead. That is good news of great joy for there all you go. people. For all people. The words of the angels that resonate beyond those shepherd fields into us today. You are right, sir. All, all right. right. I'll let you close it. Thank you. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this uh, great message that you gave to this uh, early first century church and that you give to our uh, church and our congregation today. Uh, continue to be able to stream this message uh, both upon line and upon our hearts as we have this opportunity to be able to just glory and uh, magnify your great and wonderful name that you have provided in the person of Jesus. Again, thank you for this blessing and for this salvation. In Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. All right. See we'll you see next you next time. week.